How many gay historical figures do you know? Probably not that many. Most of them live their lives in secrecy, and history books tend to ignore any rainbow flags that someone might present. But they existed. They were people just like us, writers and innovators and artists and leaders, and they don't deserve to hide any longer. We're your hosts, Mary Rogers and Eileen Yamamoto, and join us as we uncover the ghosts in the closet. Historians say they were very close friends. Gal pals. Collie. Best friends. Independent. Companions. Rebellious. Roommates. Um, weren't they just queer? You're listening to Ghosts in the Closet with Mary Rogers and Eileen Yamamoto. Hi everyone, I'm Mary. And I'm Eileen. And welcome to another episode of Ghosts in the Closet. Today, we're diving into the life of doctor, researcher, author, and transgender pioneer, Dr. Alan L. Hart, whose name certainly belongs in our history books. From saving thousands of lives with his tuberculosis research, to becoming one of the first people to receive gender-affirming medical care in the U.S., Alan Hart's life is definitely one worth discussing. But of course, before we get into that, Let's recap some recent queer news. Taylor Swift released her newest album, Midnight's, last week. <laughs> That's the big news for annoying gay people this week. Karma's my boyfriend. Anyway, a drag storytime event in Oregon attracted a crowd of about 200 protesters, some of them armed with semi-automatic rifles. The Drag Queen Story Hour, which was meant to educate and encourage creativity among children, went on safely despite the protests. But we hope that the protesters were assured knowing that throwing rocks, smoke grenades, and carrying assault rifles helped keep kids safer from... kids' stories? And finally, on a more serious and somber note, gay actor and comedian Leslie Jordan died at age 67 last week. Most well known for his role on Will and Grace, Jordan was a trailblazer for queer performers and was a unique part of a lost generation of gay men that aren't as publicly visible because of the AIDS epidemic. As a fearless, visibly queer performer, Leslie Jordan paved the way for many open, proud displays of queerness on television, social media, and even in daily life. He will be remembered as one of the greats. So we haven't yet had the opportunity to dive that deeply into trans history on this podcast, which is why Mary and I are so excited to talk about today's subject. Alan L. Hart's life was truly remarkable in so many ways, and his impact is still felt today in ways that we might not even realize. So let's get into it. Alan Hart was born Alberta Lucille Hart on October 4th, 1890 in Kansas, but spent much of his childhood in Oregon on his grandfather's farm. From a young age, Hart presented male and pretty much rejected all ideas of traditional femininity. He wore boys' clothes, played boys' games, and hated traditional feminine tasks like cooking and tending to the home. He much preferred the physical farm chores that usually went to boys. Overall, Hart's gender expression as a child was generally accepted by his family. He was especially close with his grandfather, who made him boys' toys and accepted him as a grandson. Isn't that nice? Wow, did not expect that. I think that's so interesting because like, they kind of just were like, okay, like it's this is kind of a part of life, or like, it wasn't a huge deal. A positive way to start the story, I would say. Yeah. I wonder what boys' toys are. Like, I wonder specifically- Probably for girls, it was like dolls and stuff maybe for boys it was like like woodblock toys or something oh my god i love those toys like have you ever seen pictures it's just like a hoop <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's so funny just like he made him a hoop. 
So Hart moved to Albany, New York during his school years and was forced to present as a girl at school, which was obviously quite frustrating for him. He was allowed to write under his chosen name, Robert Allen Bamford Jr., as it wasn't uncommon for female writers to use pseudonyms at that time. So at the very least, in his writing, Hart could be his true self. Little, like, loophole there, I guess. <laughs> yeah, um. one time, uh, wide-scale misogyny. <laughs> so Hart was at the top of his class and eventually studied medicine at Albany College, Stanford, and the University of Oregon, where he was an incredibly accomplished student and took part in impressive extracurriculars, such as establishing the first women's debate team at Stanford. It was during his time at Stanford in San Francisco that he began to present fully as a man and dress in masculine attire. Unfortunately, during his later time at the University of Oregon, medical college, he was still perceived as female, which was an alienating and frustrating struggle for him, of course. And his medical degree was issued in his female name, which made the path ahead even more difficult, as you can imagine. Yeah, that would be horrible, Cause especially because it sounds like before he went to the University of Oregon, he was able to kind of live a bit more freely in California um, yeah. and probably met people like him yeah. for the first time, which I think is probably super important. So I can't imagine how hard it would have been to have to like go back to that. Yeah, honestly, just like any move, because like wherever you go, if you are able to like find those queer safe spaces, right. you're, you're starting fresh in any city, you have to try and like find those spaces again and, and maybe you won't. So it's worth noting that during this time, Hart had a number of romantic relationships with women, the most notably being Ava Cushman. At the time of their relationship, it would have been considered a lesbian relationship, and it was actually known by several of their peers. He also allegedly had relationships with a few older women. <laughs> He's so me. Anyway, overall, it was during his college years, around 1910 to 1917, that Hart was able to truly come to terms with who he was and became confident in how he wanted to live. Hart was a player. For real, for real. And I, I assume also, um, not I assume, I read about this, um, during his time at like Stanford and uh, in California, he was, he was getting around. Honestly. And if you've seen pictures, You'll understand why. He's a very, uh, I think he's a very handsome man. Oh yeah? Easy on the eyes? Easy on the eyes. Wow. So during his medical studies, Hart did a lot of personal research on sexuality and gender, and he sought out a professor named Alan Gilbert. So Hart consulted with Gilbert about what he called his sexual, quote, inversions, which was his attraction to women and identity as a man. Hart initially went to him for something kind of akin to conversion therapy. He tried like hypnosis and stuff, obviously didn't work. And finally, Hart asked Gilbert to perform a hysterectomy on him, which is the surgical removal of the uterus, so that he could begin living fully as a man. Keep in mind that this is a very unprecedented kind of thing at this time, yeah, mostly this... unprecedented. It was 1917 at this time. Sounds incredibly dangerous. Right. Um, and this, I thought this was insane. One of the arguments he used to convince Gilbert was actually a eugenic argument. So he said that because of his, quote, abnormal inversions, it would be best if he was sterilized so that he couldn't carry on, like, his genetics. Oh my... Oh my god. I feel like he just, he played the game. He, he played, played the he game. played the cards he was True. dealt. Like, I guess we'll never know if he really believed that, but we what we do know for a fact is that Hart was, like, very intelligent. Yeah. So it sounds like he might have just taken what he knew about society and what could have best worked and used it to get what he desired, what he yeah. wanted, which I think is 
awesome. Yeah, like it could have rooted with internalized homophobia, but oh, I don't know. I think I think he knew exactly yeah. what he was doing and, and it worked. And he argued for, for like this blew my mind legitimately. It's kind of giving the same energy as like soldiers who claimed that they were gay to like get out of the war. <laughs> You're like using homophobia to protect yourself. Like <laughs> to protect yourself. Do what you gotta do. Do I don't what know. you gotta do. But so heart um, went crazy with that one. I, I think that that's really interesting. Um, Gilbert was initially reluctant. Um, it's obviously a massive surgery, probably really dangerous at that time, but eventually understood that Hart was highly, highly intelligent and basically already passing and living as a man, and that this operation would be the only way for him to live a remotely normal life. So, in 1917, when Hart was 27 years old, he became the first transgender male to medically transition in the US. And because of medical standards at the time, the removal of these female reproductive organs made him medically male. It was that easy back then, I suppose. So after this, Hart then legally changed his name to Alan and began living fully as a man. Wow. Wow. I know. 1917. 1917. It's also insane that hysterectomy is like a direct arrow to like, okay, then he could change his main name and like live fully as a man. Right. Interesting logic there. Yeah, because of course, like, we are by no means in telling this story saying that like, you know, like whether you You're... even have any desire to have surgeries has anything to do with how successful you are in your transition but yeah. he knew that this is something that he wanted for himself and right. he did that. That's just incredible. Incredible. And again, <laughs> not that having or not having a uterus has much to do with being a woman at all, I no, think, but at, at that all. time it seemed it clearly had everything to do with being a woman, um, yeah. which kind of speaks a lot to societal standards about seeing women as baby as machines, reproductive, yeah, reproductive yeah, yeah. machines, but that's a completely different conversation and right now we are simply cheering on Alan Hart. So of this transition, uh, Gilbert, the doctor who performed hysterectomy, wrote, quote, Hysterectomy was performed, her hair was cut, a complete male outfit was secured, and she made her exit as a female and started as a male with a new hold on life and ambitions worthy of her high degree of intellectuality. I'm impressed by Dr. Gilbert here, I would say. Yeah, started as a male is what he said. Wow. Right, uh, started as a male, so it seems like Dr. Gilbert like agreed to do this and was, again, worthy of her high degree of intellectuality. Dr. Gilbert understood that this was the only way that Hart would be able to kind of like live a fulfilled life. Yeah. And that's very, I think, forward thinking. When I think of like doctors in that time, especially ones who were dealing with stuff like this, mm -hmm. like weren't they still kind of like lobotomizing women back then? Dude, they were doing it well after that. <laughs> yeah. So like that's very forward thinking. And I do want to note that um, this was from a, a case study that Gilbert did about this whole like sexuality and gender. And Hart was anonymous in it. Hart was named H, and this actually comes into play later. Hmm. Um, so unfortunately, even um, living as a man, Hart wasn't able to escape from scrutiny after his transition. He was working as an intern at a San Francisco hospital when he was recognized by a former classmate at Stanford who outed him in a newspaper article that referred to him as a girl posing as a male doctor. Hart resigned and moved back to Oregon with his first wife, um, Inez Stark. Wow. Outing him in a newspaper article is very social, like, yeah. something's never again, never changed. Like, that's insane. And also just horrible. It wasn't like one, like, complaint. Like, he had to pack up and leave. Like, leave. the whole world knows his business. No. And he was married, too. Yeah. Which also speaks to, like, how serious they took the hysterectomy as, like, a fully transition. Yeah. Because he could get married. 
Oh, was it legal? It was, was it, a, it was a legal no marriage because he was a man. Wow. So again, another the, we're we're dealing with layers of queer history here. They really okay. said, wow, as long as you don't have reproductive organs. <laughs> that is so interesting that he could actually get married and it was still like. I, I, I wonder how some Republicans would think about that. These right. Days. Like what under the eyes of God, like what? Right. Uh, I don't know. That's so interesting. And again, just horrible that that happened to him especially because he was like he's a doctor you know he's doing good work so yeah. how does that matter no matter what anyway uh sadly the troubles continued in oregon so hart and his wife had to relocate several times after being recognized by more past medical school um classmates and this scandal if that's what you can call it kept following hart around these experiences were really traumatizing for him totally yeah. understandably and the constant moving and general kind of financial and life insecurity also put a strain on his marriage. So Inez left him in 1923, Aww. which is, I can imagine Man. how hard it would have been. I guess I should have seen that coming when you said first wife, <laughs> just wife. Yeah, don't worry, the, the good love story is coming. Oh, good, good. So for the next few years, Hart worked in several different states and institutions to further his medical knowledge, such as the Trudeau School of Tuberculosis in New York and the University of Pennsylvania, where he received a master's degree in radiology, which is important. Um, he also met and married his second wife, Edna Ruddick, who he would be with for the rest of his life. Uh, they were together 37 years. Wow. And random tidbit, but um, when he died, which again, we'll get to this later, he asked that his ashes be spread in a place where they spent like a lot of their summers. Um, so start, I just want to add that him and Edna had a very wonderful, Aww. happy life together. They seem to compliment. So you know what, Inez, we don't even need you. So Hart dedicated his life to tuberculosis research and we can't really overstate how important his contributions were. Uh, at the time, as many of you probably know, tuberculosis was rampant and deadly. Hart was one of the first people to successfully record how the disease was spread and how to detect it. And he was a pioneer in using x-rays to detect tuberculosis, which enabled doctors to discover the disease and isolate patients at much faster rates, slowing its spread. Through his research, Hart saved millions of lives and cemented himself into medical history, of course. And we still use his x-ray method to detect tuberculosis today. Like tuberculosis. You hear tuberculosis and like you, know you watch what a dark any chapter historical that was. movie, historical fic, like anything. People are dying of tuberculosis. Left and right. It's, it was huge. So like this impact. Yeah, yeah. So Hart continued his tuberculosis research in Washington and Idaho, and eventually settled with Edna in Connecticut, where he received a master's degree in public health from Yale and was appointed to the Connecticut State Tuberculosis Commission. Can I just say this man is nonstop? How many degrees? How many schools has he gone to? I don't think we can like overstate like how smart he was yeah this is insane wow. also like non connecticut state non tuberculosis commission Honestly. like okay well done <laughs> um yeah so they lived happily and after the second world war synthetic testosterone became available in the u.s hart was able to grow a beard and develop a lower voice which made him far more confident wow i was not right i was not expecting that i was like what and he he was able to access that yeah i can't imagine how happy he must have been when he started testosterone like that's something he had been waiting his whole life for yeah and he was able to do that and he was also as we can see clearly really successful mm -hmm. so it's just such a win such a success win. story like i just i'm smiling thinking about it this isn't to say that the like ultimate goal of transness is to get gender affirming hormones absolutely like everybody has different preferences whatever but this is something that he really wanted and was not an accessible thing so just yeah 100 like this is it's very significant that he was able to to do this and and it clearly made him happier and more confident and that's a, a huge win i would say yeah so aside from being a medical hero and helping tuberculosis patients through fundraising and outreach art was also a best-selling 
novelist. He wrote a lot about medical and societal injustices, sexuality, and general otherness, and his novels contained themes that definitely pertained to his life. One of his novels, for example, featured a gay man who's been chased from job to job because of his sexuality, which clearly was drawn from, yeah. from personal experience. Remember when you said he's nonstop? He has like eight medical degrees, like curing tuberculosis, yeah. also this is an ins this this is the uh, one in a generation mind. Yeah, yeah. That is incredible. Couldn't like you just sat down and like wrote a bunch of books. <laughs> you already like you already fixed tuberculosis, bro. <laughs> yeah, you can just find groundbreaking ways to diagnose tuberculosis. You don't have to like also be a best-selling author, but he could not leave any for the rest of us. Anywho, Hart spent the last years of his life as a lecturer, community leader, and champion of tuberculosis patients. He died of heart failure on July 1st, 1962, at the age of 71. 1962 was two years before my mom was born. Yeah, two years after my dad was born. Like, sorry, I don't know why it's like messing me up no, so No, no, like I agree with you. But, like, it, like my dad was alive yeah. when he was crazy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Wow. Moving on. He requested that after his death, all his letters and photographs be burned to avoid any speculations about his private life. When Edna died 20 years later in 1982, she left most of her estate to the Medical Research Foundation of Oregon in his memory. Like, wow. Right. And um, it's also worth noting that like people did try to reach out to Edna because she lived 20 years after he died yeah. to like get information on him and she never said anything. All the letters and stuff were burned. Like, we use the term power couple a lot, but... <laughs> because there are so many. Like... Power couple. So of his own transition in life, Hart once wrote in an article, quote, I had to do it. For years, I had been unhappy. With all the inclinations and desires of the boy, I had to restrain myself to the more conventional ways of the other sex. I have been happier since I made this change than I ever have in my life, and I will continue this way as long as I live. I came home to show my friends that I am ashamed of nothing. Incredible. 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 What, like, just fantastic piece of trans history, I think. What a really inspiring. So, we wanted to talk a little bit about some controversy surrounding Alan Hart, and more specifically, Alan Hart's identity. As we know, Hart's letters and photographs were all burned after his death, and Edna never revealed the truth to anyone. He was almost completely successful in concealing this part of himself after his death, until queer historian Jonathan Ned Katz identified Hart as the anonymous subject in one of Alan Gilbert's case studies. In Katz's writing about Hart, however, he describes him as a lesbian, which is where a little bit of debate comes in. And we're using the term debate loosely here because right. it there's the correct side and then there's just the incorrect i'm sorry like i'm not gonna sugarcoat it here yeah seriously it's, this has us uh fuming so let's let's hear about it all right yeah so scholars have disagreed on what exactly hart's identity is some argue that he was a lesbian and that he transitioned so it would be easier to be with women yeah i meant jumping through those <laughs> hoops to be transphobic right like what you like i know it's insane like he literally had his reproductive organs <laughs> change and you know what like how can you look at every single piece of evidence that's been handed to you like that yeah it's it's there wasn't subtext in this case we're not talking about frederick chopin maybe being yeah, gay we're yeah. talking about a explicitly trans individual yeah like this is who he was like in every sense of like what do you even mean what do you even mean i'm sorry it's just it's <laughs> crazy 
So the more dominant group argues the more obvious that Hart was a trans man. We believe in this viewpoint, obviously, not just because it's the most obvious answer, but also because those who argue the other viewpoint are being pretty blatantly transphobic. Yeah, like, like obviously. There's no way around it. That's that's what it is. You're, you're transphobic, sir. Exactly. Uh, every piece of historical evidence from Gilbert's studies to Hart's own writings points to the fact that Alan Hart was a transgender man. Hart never identified as a woman, and being perceived as one brought him nothing but pain. Frankly, those who see him as a woman are disrespecting his very clear legacy. And it is so sad to see. Like, yeah. what? And I would also just like to re-say this quote. I have been happier since I made this change than I ever have in my life. It's just, we're like, there's no There's no room for speculation. Like you said, like, there's a lot of room for speculation with some of the other people we've talked about. Yeah. This is so far from that. Mm -hmm. Like, it's in your face. I'm actually kind of shaking right now. It's, like, I'm, wow. And so what's the most disappointing, I think, but also not surprising, is that much of this comes from the queer community itself. So obviously Mary and I are over the moon whenever we encounter lesbian historical figures, but calling Alan Hart a lesbian is incorrect. And that kind of rhetoric comes from TERFs. So it comes from trans-exclusionary radical feminists. Yep. Um, if you insist on seeing Alan Hart as a woman, um, you probably, or as a lesbian like figure or a lesbian icon. I think there was like groups who considered him a lesbian icon and there was a group that like named one of their fundraisers, like the Lucille Hart fundraiser, Come which on. is, so Come wrong on. and again that's blatant transphobia and also dare i say stupidity for yes. not looking at the facts and the historical context there and it's just it's, it's disappointing when it comes from our own community and as well so well and it, it's impossible to miss because it's not like oh one source said this one source said this like this man <laughs> yeah, like we were talking about like he did so much when it comes to tuberculosis when it comes to his fundraising when it comes to his novels that he signed with his name not his dead name his name like mm -hmm. how do you miss that you don't it's it's a choice it's a choice exactly and yeah it's it's easy to like to forget how much transphobia and yeah. how much like hate actually does still exist within the queer community so and it's like come on guys and it's crazy <laughs> because trans people especially like get enough hate from everybody else exactly literally everybody else so it's crazy that the queer community also and it's also like when you think about historical trans figures they weren't just making an impact for trans people they were making an impact for all queer people when you mm -hmm. look at queer history right. when you look at stonewall exactly. trans women trans people in general were at the forefront of all of that yeah know your roots <laughs> like right it's, it's insane it's it's insane. So that's Mary and I getting angry for a little bit. Yeah. Um, another thing that I was kind of um, thinking about, I guess, when writing this script was that it was very clear that Alan Hart didn't actually want anybody to know this about him. Mm -hmm. He wanted all his letters burnt. Edna never said anything. He would probably have been content to know uh, that nobody knew that he was a transgender man. Um, I think that that's an arguable point. So I kind of had some like, should we do this episode? Like, does this is this like disrespecting his legacy? Right. But if the transphobes are talking about him, um, I think that we should also talk about him in the correct way. No, I I agree with you. And it's also, I understand like at that time, he didn't want anybody to uh, know that he wasn't cis. Well, transness isn't any, being trans doesn't make you any less of a man. Being yeah. a trans woman doesn't make you any less of a woman. Mm -hmm. Transness is not like, I don't think that like, being passing as cis should ever be the goal. That's not the goal. Like, transness is beautiful. Yeah, 100%. You, you don't need to hide your transness to yes. be more of your, your gender that you identify yes. as. So 
yes, he did feel that way, but I think it's important to be talking about this and to be having the conversations that don't take away from how much of a man he was, despite talking about the fact that he's trans. And we hear so much, again, about like, transphobes love using things like um, trans people are confused, trans people are whatever, like infantilizing people who, right. um, you know, have different gender expression, that kind of thing. Dr. Alan Hart lived in the 1900s. Dr. Alan Hart made an insane contribution to the medical world. He changed the world with yes. his research. Alan Hart was constantly giving back to people and he was a transgender individual. All of these things make an incredible person that I think is definitely worth talking about. And like a big F you that, you know what, trans people have always been and will always be doing incredible things. Absolutely. So that's like the bottom line there, I think. Absolutely. This was a brilliant mind, a brilliant mind, and his transness did not take away from that, of course. So as we've kind of discussed and as we calm down here a little yeah. bit, we're heavy breathing. Um, Dr. Alan L. Hart lived in a world that was pretty ruthless to him. But to us, there is nothing more remarkable than the fact that despite that, Despite the people who were dedicated to bringing him down and felt the need to expose him, despite all the struggles he went through as a transgender individual in the 20th century, the pain and isolation he must have experienced, he still dedicated his life to giving back to the world. He still wanted to save people and help people and give back to the shitty world that we live in. Alan L. Hart overcame impossible odds as a queer person in the 1900s, and most of all, he changed the world as a doctor and a scholar. So it's wonderful to finally know his name. All right, so on to trivia. Yay. Um, I'm really excited for this one. Uh, it's a bit different than usual. It occurred to me that this episode is going to be released on Halloween Day. Oh, no. And I thought, oh, we should get a little no, it's spooky. it's not. Yeah, it is. <laughs> We're submitting it on Halloween <laughs> Uh, okay, guys. You're right. Basically, we're submitting this episode on Halloween Day. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's. And it will be released one week later, but the Halloween spirit will be within us. Yes. All right, because we didn't actually do anything Halloween related during the month of October. <laughs> <laughs> True, it's gonna be released in November. Um, so we're getting a little spooky. Oh, ooh, I'm so scared. So this. Ah! Way <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> This game, <laughs> I'll kill you. I'm sorry. Okay. I'll kill you. Okay, I'm sorry. So I'm gonna stop. All right, actually, I'm stopping. I'm stopping. All right. So this game is called "Is this queer ghost lore real, or did I just make it <laughs> oh up?" Oh my god, I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. So I'm gonna like briefly give you a little like story with minimal detail. That's either like like lore that like ghosty like is about there that hauntings. much queer ghost lore. Yeah, there's some okay. ghosty. You know what? Yeah, creepy haunted places and stories and things. Oh, so, I'm so excited! This is brilliant. Yeah. All right. So we'll see. I feel like with this type of thing, you always get it right. I feel we'll like see. you're gonna get them all right. We'll see if I'm uh, we'll capable. See. All right. We'll see. Number one. Okay. In 1777, two women who were deeply in love ran away together and lived out the rest of their lives in a small town where their community respected them and accepted their sapphic love. <laughs> Already I'm thinking no. <laughs> Sorry, continue. Since their deaths, those who have visited their restored house over the years have reported ghostly encounters such as rapping and cold spots, but always with a pleasant and welcoming presence, presumably because they lived a fulfilled life away from bigotry and have no revenge to seek. That's so nice. Are you joking? I'm obsessed. That's so sweet, but I don't believe that it could happen. It's true. <gasps> really? Yeah. Oh, I'm so happy. I wanted to start with like a happy one. Oh, that's so... Wait, I love the like... 
the warming prison. Yeah, they right? had no need for revenge. Good for them. Yeah, so a bit more detail. So this is the story of the ladies of Langolin at Plaz Nuid. God, I can't. It <laughs> oh, was in Wales. Oh yeah, those ladies. <laughs> it was in Wales. They <laughs> ran away from Ireland. Um, yeah, their names were Sarah Ponzonby and Eleanor Butler. I'm and so happy. A fun little them. fact too is um, people have reported they feel those like warm presences the most around Christmas, which is when they would like have like these dinners. They'd like invite all of the community and like host these Are dinners. And they were just openly queer in Wales in the 1770s. I'm so happy. Yeah, yeah. That's lovely. Thank you. That kind of, that brought my mood Yeah, some good ghosts. All right, next up. So in the 1950s, in a small Australian oceanside town, two competitive female surfers, of which there were few at the time, developed a secret affair which was only known about by, like, others in the surfing community. Unfortunately, while still in her prime, one of the women tragically died in a fatal shark attack. Uh, And now while Australia remains a world leader in shark attacks, not a single attack has occurred in those waters along that coast since that day. Uh, So it's said that she rests along the coast protecting the surfers that followed her. I think that'd be so funny if you made that entire thing up with like the whole surfing lore. So I'm gonna say it's fake. It's fake. <laughs> okay, what? How did you even think about that? I don't That's even know. So funny. I was just thinking like that'd be a good movie if there were like lesbian surfers in the 50s, like Beach Boy vibes, you know? Like... Oh yeah, that was so funny. I love that. Okay. <laughs> all right, all right. Next. While not widely talked about, it's actually been speculated that Walt Disney and his best friend Oob Iwerks secretly had. A... <laughs> Sorry, what was it? Oob. I works, it works. I don't know how to pronounce it. Okay. But anyway, um, it's been speculated that Walt and his bestie had a secret homosexual relationship, which could have been a factor in Walt suddenly firing him um, as a Mickey Mouse Ooh. animator. <laughs> Break up. So since Oob's death, people have reported sightings of his spitting image on rides and wandering the grounds of Disney World, and looking for him there has actually become somewhat of a niche activity in ghost hunting circles. It has to be true. I made it up. Did you just make up that name? No, no. He was actually his best friend, but he there's okay. no homo rumors and there's that, no like firing or anything. Are like you that. serious? That's so funny. You right? just like took this random famous guy and we're like, Eileen would probably believe that this guy has homoerotic rumors. Yes, 100%. Yeah, right? I don't know. It's just something about Walt Disney. Oh, that would be so, you're right. I probably would have heard about that, I feel like. Right? That's, that's a great one. You're really getting me today, man. Yeah, I'm feeling good about this. Okay, next one. In late 1800s Scotland lived an openly gay man who was widely hated for his infamous gay sex magic and for publishing explicit homoerotic books. Uh, Many believe that since his death, he lives on as the embodiment of Satan himself to the point, like, he's had such an impact on Satanism as a whole that the King of Hell in the CW series Supernatural was named after him. Why'd you have to add the supernatural tidbit? That's, That's making me really... Would Mary just add supernatural to something? I think it's true. It is true. Okay, thank God. Although I would. I used to be the biggest supernatural fan ever. Like, you don't even understand. Were you, like, obsessed with, like, the gay ships and stuff? Yes. (laughs) Destiel? Are you kidding me? Stop. Oh, my God. Yeah, I was one of those gals. The Holy Trinity, Supernatural, Sherlock, and Doctor Who. Or some called it Super (laughs) Hulock. Don't judge me right now. <laughs> or as some called it, Super Hulock. I was. I'm, no, I was I'm some. aware of Super Hulock. I was on Tumblr in 2012. Oh, yeah? yeah, me, me yeah. as well. Anyway, I wasn't on the Super Hulock side. I was, and I have we no regrets. We could have been besties on Tumblr in 2012. Literally, I probably. Think. Did you know I cosplayed as the Tenth Doctor at Comic Con? Do pictures. Yeah, I actually do. I we took will a... be posting these pictures yeah, on the Instagram. I got to take a picture with Billy Piper, if you don't know who that is. <gasps> I do know who Billy Piper is. I've watched like one episode of Doctor Who. You should the see the little one. gay smile on my face when her <laughs> arm is around me in the picture. I'm like dying. Stop, that's so funny. Best day ever. 
Anyway, what yeah. What were you even talking about? Yeah, this, so this guy who, like, practiced gay sex magic and just, like, wrote books about, like, gay sex. As he should. There's a lot of, like, lore and, like, reports of sightings in his property in Scotland and, like, yeah, Crowley from Supernatural is named after him. Like, oh. he's had a big, like, impact in Satanist circles or whatever. Good yeah. for him. I just, like, love that. Like, that's so Gay funny. legacies. Yeah, that is hilarious. The yeah. Supernatural thing is just, like, a butter on top, I would say. Yeah, and his book called White Stains uh, was once considered the filthiest <laughs> book of verse ever written. <laughs> it was only beaten by um, Cardi B's song WAP. <laughs> so my goal is to make the um, filthiest verse ever written. Do it. I believe in you. All right. Um, next one. In the 1860s, two women within the local artistic scene, an actress and a sculptor, had a tumultuous secret relationship and would always meet at the same hotel to hook up. Eventually, one of the women died of pneumonia while staying in that hotel. Following her death, guests would often report inexplicable women's voices and partying sounds coming from the very room she died in. Painfully ironically, ghostly activity became so disruptive that her room was turned into a closet. Stop it. There's no... If you made this up, I think you should actually like go into writing gay ghost stories because these are freaking brilliant. It's got it's gotta be fake. No, it's real. Oh my <laughs> god, the closet! Yeah, yeah. Charlotte Cushman was the actress, and the sculptor was Emma Sta Stabbings. Oh, I'm... <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, and it was Her in Boston, name was Massachusetts. Emma Stabbings. Yeah, like actually. of course it was in Boston. Yeah. I think that's I love a sculptor actress pair. Right. I love an artist pair. I bet they like had deep conversations and were incredibly toxic yeah. for each other. Yeah, I agree, I agree. And now like she's so much. eternally in the closet. In the closet, like, come on. Her Rest final peace, resting girl. place <laughs> Rest is messed peace, up. I mean, we've all been there. Okay, last one. All right. Um, so this next one is, it's only <laughs> it's only loosely queer, but you'll get it. I just had to, had to include. So right after World War II, a husband-wife duo, the Shawns, formed a trailer rental company, you may know it, by the name of U-Haul. <laughs> <laughs> And it has oh, I'm since, not familiar, actually. Uh, you'll learn about it soon, I'm sure. <laughs> and it has since expanded, uh, obviously. Um, so what you may not know is that Mrs. Schoen actually ironically died in a crash while operating a U-Haul vehicle. Not funny. Uh, <laughs> anyway, fast forward to the early 2000s, where U-Haul had to recall a series of moving vans that consistently had a tendency to prematurely ignite. So it's been oh speculated. Yeah. So here's where it gets spooky. It's been speculated that this was not a mechanical defect, but rather Mrs. Sean's ghost starting the engines herself. Ooh. It's true, I assume. No, it's false. I made it up. What the hell? <laughs> is wrong with you <laughs> i just had to make up something about u-haul i was like what is actually wrong with you your mind is messed up in the best way i'm so glad that i like fooled you this time are you i thought like i fully believe you were speaking as fact well thank you so much for your lovely trivia that was hilarious and you really did get me i think i only got like one or two right yeah i'm feeling really so proud. congratulations and thank you very much again so that's it for this week's episode. We hope that you enjoyed learning about Dr. Hart's amazing contributions to the medical world and the surprising history of one of the U.S.'s first gender-affirming surgeries. We can't wait to cover more pieces of trans history as soon as possible. And as always, um, f**k transphobes and f**k turfs. Bars, bars on bars on bars. <laughs> and of course, feel free to message us if there are any stories or topics you think we should cover next. We love to see it. Or if you're a queer student who wants to feature their work on one of our episodes. And of course, follow us at Ghosts in the Closet Podcast on Instagram. Yeah, much appreciation to people who do um, send us. Most recently from Spirit Live's own uh, GD. Got Ooh. an Instagram message, so shout out. Um, and my sisters send me a lot of like 
stuff too. Yeah, sometimes right? I guess stuff too. People are like, oh, oh, you should you should look into this person, and it's yeah, it's very validating and wonderful. So please keep doing that. Yes, please, please. All right, and as always, I'm Mary and I'm Eileen, and we'll see you next time to uncover more ghosts in the closet. Boo. <laughs> <laughs>